Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, Politics Plus Media 101 listeners, wherever you may be tuning in from around the world. Today, we have a very special show with Andrew Lawrence, Deputy Director of Media Matters. He's also an experienced campaign hand, having worked on Democratic races in statewide elections in Iowa, Florida, and Ohio. And maybe most importantly, Andrew is my personal close friend and also a friend of Brady, uh, the dog that you've probably heard barking in the background at some other point. Today, we have a really interesting topic at hand, uh, and we have a Twitter expert, if I might say so, for Andrew, as we are discussing Twitter, what it means in the political context, and Elon Musk. Um, but before we get into the topics of the day, last night, uh, this is this is Monday night, and this episode is released on Thursday, there was an American football game, the real football on this soccer stuff, uh, where Tom Brady made perhaps one of his best regular season comebacks yet as a NFL quarterback in the last 25 years. So Andrew, quite frankly, the Bucks looked like shit and so did Tom Brady for the whole game. And then two minutes left and he comes back. What were you thinking and how should we view, uh, not only this game, but maybe the season? Yeah, man. I mean, uh, you know, for anybody who who doesn't know or doesn't follow me on Twitter, um, I'm a huge Tampa sports fan, huge Bucks fan. I, I got to be careful what I say here because I actually worked those hours that the game was on. I don't want my boss thinking I was too distracted, you know. Um, <laughs> but it was that was the most boring, most awful game. Um, I I could not stand watching it until I guess five minutes left. Um, Tom Brady became Tom Brady, and you know it's so interesting. There was a um, I guess it was about seven minutes left. Bucks were down by two scores and they had a fourth and 10 on about their own 25 own 30. And Brady wanted to go for it and he would not come off the field. And they made him come off the field to punt the ball. And everybody, I mean, from Troy Aikman, the announcer, everybody was saying what a stupid, awful decision it was. And it ended up working out. And it was, uh, it was really amazing. But that Bucks offense, I mean, first of all, the Saints always handle us. They, they just, we cannot score against them. Um, you know, I was at the, I think it was a Sunday night game last year where the saints won. It was six, nothing, maybe nine, nothing. I mean, we just cannot score against them. We cannot beat them. It might've been the first time Brady has beaten the saints in the regular season with the Bucks. Um, I know we beat them in the playoffs one year, but, uh, yeah, you know, a win is a win. We're, we're six and six and, and, and riding high in the NFC South. You're the top of, of the division. And, for folks who maybe aren't aware of, of what we're talking about and why the decision not to go for it is so important. So Tom Brady is the greatest athlete, arguably, of any sport around the world ever. I'm biased. I named my dog Brady, for goodness sake, after Tom Brady. Um, but Andrew, he's been around the league for over 20 years. And your head coach, this is the the first season of his second stint of being a head coach. And he got fired, I, th- I think, from the Jets for just not being able to put a winning team together. So it must have been surprising to have somebody who's relatively new in the head coaching world. This is a second go around relatively little to no success go against what Tom Brady was saying that that had to be bizarre as a Bucks fan to just see happening. But that's his job, right? You know, coaches, coach, players play. And, you know, I, Tom Brady, uh, like you said, one of the, the best, team sport athletes of our time, of course he's going to want to stay on the field. Uh, he probably never wants to punt, you know, but 
it was the right call. It was clearly the right call. And, um, you know, I've, I've been losing faith in Todd Bowles throughout the season. I think the clock management has been awful. Uh, the game planning has not been great, but it worked, it worked, it worked out last night. Thank God. Yeah. It did. And, and folks are probably wondering, why are they talking about sports? And I think this is a perfect segue. And, and it's because Twitter is very big for sports journalists. And you and I were discussing beforehand that there's a, a contract in baseball is breaking and, and the news you, you were telling me that it broke on Twitter. But considering we are, you know, we tend to be a very serious podcast here. We have members of Congress on, we have think tankers talking about these geopolitical uh, issues. I, I wanted to start out the show and explain why we are having a discussion on Twitter. And, and more pointedly, it's really not a massive social media platform when you look at uh, Instagram or TikTok or Facebook and and the users and, and the numbers. Um, but what is the importance of Twitter from your perspective to politics and, and to political media? Why does the platform matter at all? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, when you just look at the user numbers um, of different social media uh, sites, different different social media apps, just I mean, it might even be the smallest out of uh, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all of those. Um, but the thing that, that makes Twitter so unique, uh, there's a few things. I think, first of all, just the real-time updates. You know, you and I were talking earlier uh, before, before this call about Aaron Judge contract that was reported by John Heyman, and then immediately he kind of walked back. I'm not sure exactly where that's at right now, but it's that, that real-time. It's so quick. You know, you hear something, you put it out there, somebody has 60,000 followers or something, um, or it gets retweeted by somebody with with a large following, and all of a sudden it is out there like sort of everywhere. You don't you don't get that with with Facebook or TikTok or Instagram or anything like that. But you know, I think the 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 thing that really sets Twitter apart from other social media apps is just its outside influence because of that rapid response, because it's so quick and so real time. You have journalists uh, of every field, you know, sports, uh, lifestyle, politics, obviously. Uh, local reporters are 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 all following everything that happens there on a, sometimes on a minute by minute basis. I mean, people are addicted to it, and you can really you know if you make a good enough point, you can uh, somebody with two hundred followers can influence what uh, some of the most influential people in the world think about a subject if they make a good enough point and if it gets seen. And that's where where Twitter's real uh, influence comes from. So then it's not only folks in the Ivory Tower, the elite political journalists, the political staffers or former staffers like myself and yourself interacting with each other then that derives all of its power. It's There's also a value in your regular person being able to interact with your member of Congress on the platform or media matters on the platform. And there's some type of feedback. Is that where some value is too? Yeah, absolutely. One thing that is so interesting about Twitter that you do not get from other social media is the, the way that it's set up with follows and followers. Um, you end up sort of, you know, you know, with Facebook, it's like a friend group and it's your family. And with Twitter, you end up, you see something funny or a smart point and you end up following that person. And, you know, look, I'm a middle-aged white guy, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm exposed to views of people that I might not otherwise be exposed to, you know, um, 
a 22 year old uh, person of color in Detroit or something, you know, that I wouldn't see on Facebook. Like I just wouldn't because they're not part of my, my family. They're not part of my friend group, you know? So I think it, you know, my views, my, my social views even have, have changed quite a bit since I started using uh, Twitter the way that I do about five years ago, once uh, when Trump came into office and, and all of that. But, you know, I think that um, I think the way that it exposes you to different segments of American life that like you may not otherwise see just given, you know, where you grew up or, or the people that you hang out with. So I, like, I think that's one of the major benefits about Twitter. Um, and, and so then that trickles up, you know, to the politicians when they're reading the replies uh, to, for their constituents, you know, people that maybe aren't apt to, to call the office or that might not write a letter to their congressperson, but their point is being seen on there. So I, I think those are all real, uh, real world benefits to, to Twitter and, and just the way that um, the way that it sort of influences the way that, that people see the world. Yeah. And I, and I agree with that the way that, so my follows, I follow a lot of right wingers, not like I've actually had to unfollow some folks and, and same on the far, far, far left. But like I've had to unfollow Ben Shapiro, for example, because I see some of the stuff he says, it's so stupid and infuriating that I just can't watch it. But on the positive side, you, you get to see Eric Erickson is another one who I had to unfollow, even though he w- was on this show. He was just saying some stupid things. And and I just get the urge to troll these folks something terrible. Um, but then, you know, that doesn't <laughs> – I always shouldn't be doing that. Well, it's not really – I mean, Twitter is – I love trolling folks. Well, and it's not – it's not a place where you're going to change somebody's mind like that. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not somewhere where you're going to have an actual long, long form discussion, you know, about something like that um, and change somebody from being a, a staunch conservative to being a little bit more open-minded, you know, it's, and, and the thing is with those bigger accounts that you just mentioned, you know, Ben Shapiro, for example, like you don't have to follow him because like, you'll see it, you know, you'll see it. If he says something stupid or if he makes news, like you're going to end up seeing it. Um, so, which is another thing about Twitter that, that, that I like, you know, you don't, you don't have to be plugged in really to the right groups in order to, to see this news come across your feed. You're going to, you're going to see it. That's where I was going. I get to see the right wing. I get to see the left wing and we're talking within reason here. We're not talking about like proud boys or Antifa. And I, I feel like I'm able to, even though we all have our own bubbles, we're able to get a, a taste, maybe a smattering of what the discourse is. And, and I know that you um, follow, for example, the right wing news on a nightly basis. So you're really immersed in it. But every once in a while, there'll be somebody who posts a video. Maybe it's even you. You'll post a video of something stupid or a cry on from Tucker Carlson. And I'll be like, oh, wow, uh, th- this is this is pretty scary stuff. So let's get into maybe how the platform since you've started using it until right up until Musk purchased it, how it's evolved because from Trump's election with the uh, information that our intelligence agencies compiled regarding Russian troll farms, Russian manipulation of social media, there was a very large emphasis and focus, at least it felt like on social media platforms, on content moderation, Hell, Andrew, even Section 230, which we don't need to get into, but on the left and right. Um, And then, you know, 2016, 2017, 2018. And then it seems to have uh, died down. Where did Twitter 
kind of fall in the responsibility aspect of things? Were were they similar to Facebook and that they were okay with breaking everything and and worrying about it later? Were they more responsible? How can we understand what Twitter was prior to Elon Musk buying it from a content moderation standpoint? Sure. Well, that's a huge question. I mean, we could probably talk about that for a couple hours alone, you know? Um, I think going back to, you know, look, I, I've had a Twitter account since probably 2014. I don't remember what my bio actually says, but I didn't really start using it until probably 2015 when, when Trump came over and uh, when, when Trump was running and, and we were getting through the primaries. And I think that, you know, thinking back to that time on Twitter, 2015 to 2016, it was overrun by groipers, uh, white supremacists, extremists. What's a groiper? Just alt-right, you know, Pepe the Frog, 4chan, like okay. edgelords, you know. Um, and I apologize if I'm using too many uh, uh, online terms, but um, just think about terrible people. There were terrible people, white supremacists, um, that type of thing. And Twitter really cracked down on that after, after Trump took office. And the site, the site did get better. Um, you know, you asked where, how they're doing in comparison to the other social media apps. And I think they're doing well in comparison, but that doesn't mean that they're doing a great job. You know, I think that you look at their accounts out there right now, uh, huge accounts, uh, Matt Walsh of the Daily Wire is one, Libs of TikTok is another one that are clearly inciting harassment. You know, there are bomb threats being sent to children's hospitals right now that have been targeted by these large accounts. You know, and, and Twitter is even before Musk took over was letting these accounts run wild, run wild. Um, you look at the the uh, mass shooting at the, the gay bar in, in Colorado as well um, over a dra- what appears to be over over a drag brunch, you know, which is another uh, huge target of these these right wing accounts. You know, so, uh, yeah, I think they're doing a better job, especially when, when compared to 2015 and 16. I mean, it, Twitter was really becoming a cesspool at that time. And, uh, you know, I'll give give Jack and, and Twitter some credit. They, they did. They attempted to clean it up. And I'm not going to say they did a great job, uh, but it's certainly better than it was before. But now, you know, and I know I know we'll get into this a little bit more. But now with the must takeover, I mean, it's just it's open season on Twitter right now from what it what it feels like. We are working our way up there. And I just want so you understand where I was coming from. There has just been so much negative attention paid to Facebook and how they quite frankly don't give a shit. And and Andrew, I'm saying we have independent researchers, regardless of their political views, I'm saying they, they are playing it down the middle and not um, actively bringing in an agenda, uh, like reporters, for example, from the New York Times that we've had on this show that went into great detail about how Facebook was in large part allegedly responsible for sparking a genocide in Myanmar. Right. And right, yeah. and, and and serious election things where um, even take away the United States, where they're responsible for for a platform being used to manipulate elections, whether it be sitting authoritarian, go- and it just seems like there weren't any changes. But when it comes to Twitter, and I'm not praising them or saying that they did a great job like you did, um, it just didn't seem like there was that vitriol directed at them for just not caring. It seemed like there at least was some type of of effort put into place. But I did want to touch on, before we get into Elon Musk and, and his takeover, you mentioned libs of TikTok. So my understanding is that it's an, 
account that, and I don't like this account. It feels like what they're doing is they're posting um, kind of cringy TikTok videos of folks that are in the LGBTQ community and um, they're highlighting these folks. I think the argument that they would make is they're just shedding light on, I don't even know what, what the argument is. No, that is their argument. Their argument is we're just posting videos that, that other people put up. Okay, so then how are they inciting violence? Help me understand this, because it's clear that that there's something going on here. Well, first of all, the bigger picture here is what they're doing is they're they're farming some of the most extreme examples in order to paint the entire LGBT community uh, in that light, you know. And so that puts that puts a target on the LGBT community uh, right then and there. But they also, you know. Maybe the first time that one of their videos led to harassment, you could give them the benefit of the doubt, but they know what they're doing at this point. You know, they are, they know that when they post a video of somebody, they're putting a target on their back. You know, same thing when they announce that, that someplace in, in, you know, some random club is going to have a drag brunch. You know, they know that they are followed by, you know, the Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, Three Percenters, these, these violent extremist groups that are going to show up there with their AR 15s and attempt to shut this down through intimidation, if that doesn't work through violence. And it's one of those things where they, you know, they, and, and that's their goal. Like that, that's what they, that's what they're trying to do is, is to get these events shut down and to sort of erase the LGBT community. I mean, they don't, they don't want them visible at all, you know? And it, it's, it's very interesting because libs of TikTok, like, they don't really post very many libs or like TikToks, you know, it's they're going after the the LGBT community. And, you know, I would say 90 percent of the time, I have no idea what what the person's political view is that 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 they're going after because they don't say what it is, you know. But I guess they just assume because this this person has pink hair that they might they must be a lefty, which like probably. But, you know, that's not that that's not what they're they're saying that they're doing. Um so, you know, it's just, it's, it's a hub of hate and they, they know exactly what they're doing. They know that when they post a video, uh, that that person is going to get possibly doxxed, you know, probably death threats. And it's a shame to, to see, you know, even before Elon, uh, to see Twitter allow their, their platform to be used like that. I think what you said that really struck a core with me is essentially they're taking the most extreme cases of, uh, folks in, you know, the, the LGBTQ community and they're painting by just focusing on these videos. This is the representation of that community that they are providing to their followers. So therefore, in a way, they're distorting uh, and trying to do so as a goal is, is trying to distort the way that this community is viewed by their followers. And, and an example is, and this may not be a specific video, but I've seen a lot of videos posted from them of people identifying as animals, for example. And and that kind of, from your perspective, and I would agree with you, that is done to distort the discussion around pronouns and really be prejudicial against trans people. So that's one yeah, problem. Yeah, well, and this is, well, and, and it's not a new strategy. You know, okay. I watch, uh, uh, you know, Tucker Carlson, they do the same thing with immigrants. You know, they'll scroll names of, of uh, undocumented immigrants that committed crimes in an attempt to say that like all brown people will do this to you. You know, if you let immigrants in, they're going to come for you, you know? So, so this isn't a new strategy. It's something, something that they've done over and over 
uh, probably for decades. I haven't been tracking it for decades, but definitely for years, you know, and, and with various different communities. Um, so, you know, they do the same. They, they lump all the Democrats. You know, you hear them talk about the quote unquote left all the time. And, you know, I see the Fox News will will turn an entire segment out of um, just some random tweet from a professor at like Pepperdine University who said that meat should be illegal and we should only eat tofu. All of a sudden, that's what the entire left thinks. You know, we see it over and over again. And, and right now, the LGBT community is the, the target of that. Um, but, but it's not, it's not specific, you know, this is, they, they pick their targets and they go after them. And this is certainly a strategy and, and libs of TikTok, Matt Walsh, uh, Ben Shapiro, all, all of these people are picking up on this and, and doing it and they're endangering, they're endangering people as well. And, um, you know, there's, there's just no end in sight to it, uh, especially with new Twitter ownership. The last point I want to get into before we discuss new Twitter and, there's a lot I want to discuss with you on new Twitter is when we're looking at banning somebody like let's specifically talk about libs of TikTok and um, inciting violence. You're talking about bomb threats at children's hospitals. I, I, I personally, my life was saved numerous times at Boston's Children's Hospital because, you know, I had kidney problems when I was an infant. And so I have a, an affiliation with the hospital and libs of TikTok posted a video and then there were bomb threats like immediately Mm -hmm. um to the hospital there was another one yesterday really there was another bomb threat there yesterday yeah i think there were other hospitals too other other hospitals that they had posted where there were yes there are yeah i think vanderbilt might have been one i know vanderbilt was targeted i'm not sure if they got a bomb threat but they're having chicago had had one it's for trans medical treatment Uh, just gender affirming care because they provide gender affirming care yeah so when (laughs) i i guess the the question here is when when can we just blame their followers? Like, when can we just say that they have a bunch of, cause they're not going out saying go threaten. I, I don't think they're not going out and saying, go threaten these hospitals. When does it fall on the responsibility of the account that is posting on Twitter versus um, their followers? And should people be banned for dog whistles? I guess like, what's the line? Help me, help me understand. I mean the, well, you know, the line is when, you know, these people, when these accounts target Boston's Children's Hospital, and then the next day, like they get bomb threats. And, you know, there's uh, imagine being a family, you know, your kid is is in there for God knows what you're probably terrified anyway. And all of a sudden, a bomb threat comes, in, you know, um, and, and so it's, you know, I, I, I understand that it might be a little bit cloudy. Um, but we can we can use common sense here, you know, like these, these hospitals, weren't targeted before these accounts said, said something, you know, put a target on their back. And then the next day, a couple days later, they're getting bomb threats, you know, and that's that, you know, look, if I own Twitter and, and somebody was using my platform to send bomb threats, uh, to, to encourage people to send bomb threats, um, then yeah, they would be booted. And you're right. Like they are kind of using, it's kind of using Douglas as Justin, because it's, you know, something needs to be done or, you know, uh, uh, Tucker Carlson, uh, you know, most watched cable news, uh, news host in America has said multiple times, probably a dozen times that, uh, you know, remember when, when we lived in a country where people would get beat up for saying things like that, you know, uh, telling people that, uh, this wasn't Tucker. It was, it was his guest. I think it was the, the woman who runs the, uh, saying that like, it's time for people to arm themselves, you know? 
uh, while talking about uh, talking about gender affirming care and stuff like that. So, no, like, you know, saying recommending to your viewers like, hey, you need to arm yourself against these people. I mean, that's not saying like, hey, you need to go shoot them and murder them. You know what they would say is like, no, you need to protect yourself. That's what I was saying. But like, no, it's not like, you know, they're encouraging this type of thing. Um, And you are allowed to read between the lines there. You know, anybody with a little bit of common sense knows exactly what they're doing. No, no. And for and for the audience, you are probably one of, if not the foremost expert on Tucker Carlson, on Sean Hannity, because you're monitoring these shows and, and you're specifically monitoring these shows for extremism. So I think it's important um, when you're referencing these shows that folks understand that this is your job. It's not like yeah. me trashing Tucker Carlson. It's, you know, coming from a place of insight. Is that is that is that how you would explain it? I, I watch Fox News so you don't have to, basically. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, and because, you know, look, Fox News is incredibly influential. You know, they are they are the propaganda arm of the Republican Party and the Republican even more so than that. I, I would almost say that the Republican Party at this point is the propaganda arm of Fox News. You know, because um, the Republican Party does what Fox News tells them. And and you can take a look at uh, just the last election. Tucker Carlson on air demanded that that Republicans talk about nothing but crime and inflation. And that's exactly what they did. You know, and and going back to the Trump years, um, you know, I'd see see Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity say Donald Trump needs to do this. And the next day it was turned into an executive order. Um, And there's numerous examples of that. So, you know, Fox News is incredibly influential. And and I think it's important that people keep up with with what they say there. Um, But it's very hard to watch if you're not inside that bubble. So I can understand people like not wanting to watch it. And that's what Media Matters is there for, basically. And what you're saying is really prescient because my experience in the Republican Party in 2016, I worked at the RNC and we didn't watch Fox News, Andrew, because we understood that they would just run our talking points. So we would give them talking points. It really wouldn't be fact-checked for the most part. And they would just run them. So at that point, they really were our microphone. Um, And what our goal was is to influence more mainstream media, MSNBC, CNN, through opposition research, which you have experienced doing on the Democratic side, I have experienced doing on the Republican side. And I think the other point that you're making is 100% correct. The power during the Trump administration, it completely changed where the RNC was kind of running the show with the talking points and everything that that Fox would do or the grassroots Republican movement. You had Sean Hannity literally be one of the top advisors to the Trump administration on policy issues, which is weren't there like text messages released between um, Trump and Hannity around the impeachment and he was advising him on what to do. Around January 6th. Around January 6th and how to respond. And so it it is important. I guess the, the question is, and we had you on our show a while ago and we asked you this, is there value in showing the general public this type of extremism that is going on, or should we just try and ignore it and and push it in a corner? Um, Where's the line here? Because I'm sure that people are critical saying, hey, you're just promoting this hate. And how do you respond to that? Like, what's the difference between you and libs of TikTok, if we're going to be really... Well, first of all, I'm not I'm not encouraging uh, murder, you know, so that's <laughs> okay, that's one okay. thing that that's a fair difference. As far as I know, no one has sent a bomb threat to a children's hospital because of one of my tweets, you know, <laughs> so so that's that's a pretty big difference right there. Um, 
but no, I think I think with with proper context, uh, yeah, like it is important for people to know what is being said on these shows, you know, and, and because it, it is incredibly influential. Um, and I think that, you know, pe- people look at, at my account and that, you know, I, I work at Media Matters. They know they know that when I post something, it's critical. And and, you know, there's they, they give us so much material to work with. What's your Twitter account just so that everybody listening to this can can follow along? It's my name with an underscore in between, but with the out VA at the front. Okay. No, I, I think it's important that people know what, what is being said on Fox News. You know, I, I think it's important for people to um, to be up to date. And I think that, you know, what I try to do is, you know, provide provide a quote. You know, if, I, if I'm just tweeting out a video with somebody's quote, uh, it's going to be a quote where, where it's clear that this is extreme. You know, this is this is wild. I mean, one of one of my uh, earliest uh, big tweets, it was a, a earliest big Tucker tweets was him saying that immigrants are dirtier, make America dirtier and poor. And, you know, I mean, that's that's just something that's awful. Like I knew that that people would have a visceral reaction to that. You know, what's so, so interesting about that, that? This was probably like 40 years ago at this point. Um but he says 10 times worse stuff now, and it doesn't get any attention at all. You know, it's that, that, that Overton window has been, has been shifted so much. Um, you know, four years ago when he said that there were, there were calls for him to be fired. There was, there was a whole campaign, um, not just from media matters, from advertisers, uh, from, from civil rights groups for him to be fired. And now you very, very rarely, uh, see that type of movement, uh, despite the fact that he's saying much worse stuff. So I just wanted to, circle back to to the original question because i i had been grappling with what is the value of media matters for a while and honestly i think that the kanye west episode crystallized it for me and it really put everything in perspective that this really is a very valuable service um because i'm somebody that's in politics so i know a lot of these narratives and i'm like i, I go to media matters and i'm thinking I know that these people are saying crazy shit. Like I, I get it when, when, when you're criticizing Fox news, I understand, but the Kanye stuff, I don't watch Infowars, right. For example. Right. And, and, and right. I don't follow right. libs of TikTok. And I know you guys also follow libs of TikTok. So when Kanye went on Alex Jones and he was saying really crazy shit, like he was praising Hitler. And um, at first I just saw people reacting on Twitter um, saying, oh my God, Kanye is being anti-Semitic. And I kind of rolled my eyes like, yeah, the, the guy's anti-Semitic. And then I think it was a Media Matters clip from one of, you know, um, somebody that I follow uh, because you follow them and you retweet them. And I saw a media, uh, I saw the clip of Kanye praising Hitler. And I'm like, holy shit, this provides context to other people commenting on how outlandish this really is. It it's showing you the proof that this type of stuff is so far out the mainstream and so not okay. Um, like you said, it you guys watch this stuff, you guys monitor this stuff so that we don't have to. So I, I think it's totally different, for example, than Libs of TikTok, who is targeting private individuals because they're trying to slander everybody who's um, in this minority group, right? Well, and and I mean, look, we're we're punching up as well, yes. you know, whereas, whereas libs of TikTok is punching down and, and looking for vulnerable people and attacking vulnerable groups. You know, I think that when, when we're pointing, I mean, we're not even, a, 
you know, people say like we're attacking the right wing. We're just pointing out their lies. A lot of times it's just their exact quotes that we're putting out there, you know, and because these people are, are so extreme, um, it's widely accepted that that they are extreme. You know, we're, we're not lying or anything about these people. So, you know, I think that's I think that's another major uh, major difference as well. They're public citizens, right? They're working in the public. They're either in the media or in Congress. So it's it's literally their job is, is to be out there. It's not a kindergarten teacher that, that's being targeted because they have a rainbow flag on their desk, you know? Exactly. So I want to now finally get over to, to Elon Musk because you mentioned punching up. We're dancing around the term red-pilled people. Mm-hmm. So Elon Musk purchased Twitter. He spent $44 billion on it. It was at the height of just ridiculously stupid money going into the tech world, into startups and from venture capital firms. The stock market was at the height of everything. You work in media. Media Matters is literally a monitoring uh, company, among other things. Do we have any understanding of how Elon Musk came to to spend so much money on, on Twitter and ultimately purchase it? Like, was this a thought out business decision? Or? No, it clearly wasn't because he <laughs> he offered them. First of all, he offered them a price that was even at at, at the height of the stock market and everything. He he offered a price that was way more than Twitter was worth. Um, the price that he offered fifty four dollars and twenty cents is a marijuana meme, you know, because because he thought it would be funny. Four twenty. Yeah, he thought it would be funny and probably didn't realize at the time that it was legally binding. And <laughs> I mean, you know, I. I've seen all these theories about like how he's trying to destroy, um, you know, one of the biggest megaphones for left, you know, people that don't have a voice and for groups on the left. I think it's just ego, man. I like, I just think it's, it's his giant ego. I think that he's very online. He's, he's always posted a lot on Twitter and he, you know, his net worth was $200 billion and he could buy Twitter for, you know, 44 and he wanted to be the king of Twitter. And I really think that's all it is. I think it's his ego. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, somebody having that much money and being surrounded by yes men all the time and being told how, how right you are all the time. Uh, I, I just don't think his brain works anymore, at least not in the way that we understand a, a normal functioning human being's brain should work. You know, um, it's crazy. I could see it fucking me up if I had $200 billion and... Yeah. Everybody who hangs out with me basically just wants to hang out with me because I'm powerful and have money. Yeah. And then and then they're all telling you how great you are and like, oh no, don't don't worry that your cars are exploding. They're they're changing the world. You're <laughs> you're totally gonna get us to Mars in, in five years, dude. We're we're totally gonna be at Mars just because of you. You know, the guy was an Iron Man for Christ's sake. In his mind, he's the real world Tony Stark, right? Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's what he thinks. That's what he's been told. You know, that's what he's been told. And he has he has enough money to just surround him with people who think like that. To go in a little bit further, Andrew, you were the one who kind of told me this and, and I didn't realize it. Like I thought Elon Musk was this great inventor, you know, of PayPal and he invented Tesla. But that's not really his origin story, is it? That's not how he made money was inventing these groundbreaking and earth shattering products, right? Yeah. I mean, like he 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 did not found Tesla. He bought Tesla from from the person that founded it. You know, he's doing the same thing with Twitter, um, and then he takes credit for it. same thing with SpaceX. You know, all of these companies. He, um, you know, if you want to read his bio, he got he got a nice chunk of money from mommy and daddy. You know, got lucky with PayPal, got a huge payout. Um, had a couple other companies that that failed, 
but he ended up making money off of them. Um, and, and he's just sort of snowballed that over and over and over again. Um, you know, his, his biggest, his biggest gift is, is selling himself. You know, I mean, he's, he's PT Barnum really with a lot of money, um, is what he is. And, and he's created this image of himself. Um, and you know, I guess to his credit, he's tricked a bunch of people, but, um, the guy is not a creator. He's, he's a bullshit artist. Um, you know, there, there's a screenshot that goes around Twitter every once in a while. And it's just the thumbnail of a, of a YouTube video. And it's an interview with Elon Musk, you know, Elon on one side, the interviewer on the other side. And the title of, of the clip is Elon Musk. Uh, I will have people on Mars in 10 years. And then underneath it says posted 10 years ago. And and that's what he does. You know, you take a look at Cybertruck, for example, the truck that he, he announced three or four years ago now, maybe said that it was going to be, be coming out, you know, very soon. Uh, There were taking orders for it. That's nowhere near coming out. You know, there was, um, there was a a tweet from June of this year from the New York post uh, saying that Elon Musk says that the Tesla robot will be out in several months. I was doing it this year. I mean, we're six months out. This is what he does over and over and over again. He builds up this hype. He gets money from investors and then he bails and, and nobody ever calls him out on it. You know, it's, it's really amazing. It's, it's a, a gr- great work if you can get it, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that because during this whole Twitter thing, he's basically an investor and, and I, I thought he was some type of creator. So, so that kind of changes your perception when you realize he's just really uh, an investor who's very, 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 very successful, obviously the most successful in the world um, at doing this type of stuff. Now, he bought Twitter. He surrounded himself by, um, well, first off, he bought Twitter. And before he got into charge of Twitter, I think he started making all of these tweets about Russia and Ukraine. And there are reports of Elon Musk essentially parroting Putin talking points about a settlement between Ukraine and Russia. Um, and he, and he was always like retweeting or quote tweeting or applying to this guy, David Sachs, who, um, I didn't know, but he's kind of like a red pilled investor. Who's this libertarian type of, um, get the government off my back. I'm a creator. Uh, you're just in the way the government fucks everything up. And he's also culturally very right wing. So it seems like the, the team at Twitter that Elon is kind of interacting with and going back and forth with is, is more to the right wing, but we have not seen Elon's um, political ideology, to my understanding, until very recently, right? Everybody kind of assumed that he was liberal because he's in a uh, believer of science and the extreme Republican Party um, really doesn't believe in science. He's a believer in climate change through his electric vehicles, and that aligns with Democrats. He's a believer in space exploration, another thing that, that aligns with Democrats. Um, but Elon, ever since purchasing Twitter, has kind of come out and made a point of it uh, to decry censorship and be a free speech absolutist. So I guess the the real question is, is this guy just really right wing? And, and is he parroting right wing talking points? And if we just pictured him wrong the whole time? I mean, all that is just bullshit. Like it's all it's all part of the grip hiding what what he really was. I mean, look, what it always comes down to with these super rich guys is class. They want lower taxes, period. And that is it, you know? And so like, yeah, he bought Tesla. 
Um, so everybody thought that he was this this uh, left wing, clean energy type of guy. Um, but then, you know, it, it comes out that Tesla's making their money by selling carbon credits to, to the other company, to dirty companies um, in order for so that they could meet their, their carbon requirements, you know, which is totally offsetting any any green action that Tesla was doing. It totally offsets it. Um, so, no, I mean, it's it is just all bullshit. Like, it's all bullshit. He wants lower taxes, Justin. That's it. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want. And you take a look at some of these investigations. You know, there was an investigation announced yesterday. Uh, one of his companies, Neuralink, um, which is trying to put computer chips into monkeys' brains, uh, killed a bunch of monkeys. And and so now that is being under investigation. And he doesn't want that. He's very anti-union. Tesla has has come under fire for discriminatory practices, um, for segregating their their warehouses and stuff like that. And he doesn't want. He wants the government off of his back for for all of this stuff. Um, probably because it's a lot easier for him to make money when, you know, when, when you can treat your workers like shit. He's been right wing for forever. You know, I think that he he was, you know, huffing his own farts there for a while um, <laughs> with, with uh, you know, people on the left telling, you know, thanking him for, for making clean energy cars and, and stuff like that. But all he cares about is is his bank account, you know, and that's it. And, and that lines up with the right wing. So when he took over Twitter and he's taken these right wing views and, and begun to implement them, so he fired a bunch of people. And quite frankly, I don't give a shit about overpaid Silicon Valley tech workers getting fired. Like for me personally, could not care, didn't shed a tear, did, was not concerned. Um, these people probably should have been fired, a, a lot of them, a long time ago from my perspective, having done PR for Silicon Valley firms. Um, there's just an ethos to Silicon Valley that I think is very destructive. And I think a lot of these employees probably share that ethos because that's where they work and grew up. But the media freaked out. They, they freaked out that Elon Musk firing these people was going to ultimately uh, break Twitter. Twitter has not broken. Since he's taken over, what has been um, the worst things that he has done materially to change the the platform is it is it the firing of folks or is it um the free speech absolutism well uh, i gotta push back on all of this <laughs> first of all i mean <laughs> you know I, look I, I i i just disagree i i don't like seeing people get fired um you know so these these people um have worked there their whole lives they, they you know build a life probably out there um i'm not going to guess at what their political leanings are or anything like that um you know they they weren't unionized and they should have been Elon tried to fire them um, by uh, not following the law in California and things like that, uh, which he which you have to do. You know, he's being sued over that right now. Um, so I'm going to push back a little bit on on that. And then he's not a free speech absolutist. Uh, absolutist. That's complete bullshit. He just wants he wants to force you to hear what he has to say. You know, he, he is certainly not a free speech absolutist. He paints himself that way, though. Well, sure. Yeah, because it's because he's a bullshit artist, because it's part of the grip, because that's you have to understand that that all you have to do to make money in the right wing is say the right words. If you just say that you're a free speech absolutist, if, if you say that the DOJ was targeting uh, Donald Trump unfairly and the Russia hoax, and all, you just have to say the right words. And that's what he's doing right now. But he's certainly not a free speech absolutist. Um, you know, there's there, he's reinstated some awful accounts, but there's plenty of others that he hasn't reinstated. Uh, if you're a free speech absolutist, you do that. You know, he he reinstated Kanye and then banned personally banned him. You know, personally made the decision to ban him. 
Um, and he should have, you know, Kanye obviously should have been banned, but that's not free speech absolutism either. You know, like there is a line and it's just, where do you draw that line? So the premise is just bullshit. You know, I, I just don't, I, I don't buy it in the least. So you're losing sleep over the, you know, the, the folks at Twitter who were making hundreds of thousands. I'm not losing sleep, of- but okay. well, you don't know how much they made, you know? I mean, there were, I'm sure that there were people there towards the lower end of the, the salary spectrum that, 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 you know, don't, you know, don't have more than a couple of months saved up even, even that, you know, I mean, the, there, there's, there's people there that have like put their entire lives into learning that craft um, of engineering. And, and I would also say, you know, look, I never, I, I have always thought that, that, Twitter wouldn't die like that. Just go black immediately. I think, you know, I've always thought that if, if he continues to allow horrible people to post whatever they want, then good people are just going to go away and Twitter will turn into 4chan. And, and that's, that's how I see it ending. If, if he continues down that path, you and I had discussions and you never said it it was going to break or, or this was going to be, you know, the end of Twitter, despite, a lot of liberal columnists freaking out. Maybe it was groupthink, maybe it was virtue signaling, but they all kind of freaked out. So all that I was trying to say is personally, I really don't give a shit about somebody coming in. I'm not saying I endorse it, right? But I don't lose sleep over somebody buying a company, saying it's bloated and then firing folks and the product that I use from that company, not functionally to my like eyes uh, changing. Now, where I- It hasn't I, yet. I mean, it hasn't yet. It hasn't yet. But but it's like, dude, it's like the boy who cried wolf. Like I have seen so many stories when he was firing folks. Maybe maybe it was a month ago now, Andrew. It was a while ago, um, a couple of weeks ago. Like, oh, Twitter's gonna break when the World Cup starts. Twitter's gonna break tomorrow. Like Twitter's gonna break tonight. And it's like to the point where I'm inured to the to the fact that I just don't trust. I view it as alarmism now because so many people on the anti Elon spectrum and I do not like the guy. I, I am not a fan of what he's doing, um, generally speaking, with Twitter. But so many people have like made these claims that, that Twitter was gonna break. There's drama queens on Twitter, dude. Like there's drama queens on Twitter. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, there were there was there were a, a full week there where, where people were posting their goodbyes, you know? Yeah, and, they're going to Mastodon and then the next day they'd be on they'd be yeah, posting tweet, on Twitter. Away. Yeah, exactly. And like whatever. I mean I you know, look, I get it. Like you, you, you hear that, that 90% of the staff is gone and, and, you know, I don't, I don't know how people imagine a, an app working, but that's not how it works, you know? So it's not going to just go, go offline, uh, immediately just like that. But, um, but no, I mean, I, I think the, the bigger, um, the bigger fear is, you know, the, the bigger danger to Twitter going away is it being, overrun with Nazis and white supremacists and people making death threats. And I mean, look, I'll just stop posting. Like I just won't open the app anymore, you know? And I think, I think a lot of people are like that, you know? Um, And then when you get to that point, when it's just harassment and hate and extremism on there, um, then the app is dead. And I I don't mean dead, like going black. I mean, dead, like nobody's going to go on there anymore, you know? Yeah, like people aren't going to. Yeah, no, and I agree. If Twitter was just left or just right, and especially just take away the hatred, if it was just left or just right, I would not have fun on the platform. I think the platform is fun because you're interacting with people you agree with, you're interacting with people you disagree with. It's it's like a, an ecosystem of its own. Sure, it's its own bubble, but there are different viewpoints in it. 
and it feels like Elon Musk is legitimately trying to drive people on the left-hand side of the spectrum, whatever that means, right? That aren't red-pilled, that aren't true, like dyed-in-the-wool partisan Republicans off the platform. So I, I guess that that's my, my next question for you is we are seeing him unbanning folks like, uh, I think it's Charles C. Johnson. Um, I, I know that there were rumors that he would be unbanned, but I, I think the, um, the creator or the person that runs the Daily Stormer. Yeah, Andrew Anglin. Yeah, he's back. What's our perspective on him unbanning these people? I'm assuming you don't think that this is a good thing. I mean, obviously not. Like spreading, <laughs> spreading white supremacy is not a good thing. Letting the guy that runs the Daily Stormer post the, whatever the hell he wants, like, no, it's not a good thing. Um, and it'll it'll kill the site. You know, I mean, we'll see. Like, we'll see if if content moderation is still a thing. Then these people won't last very long, and they'll they'll be rebanned again. Um, but you know, and this is where the the firing people gets into the content moderation team is gone. You know, um, you take a look at the the um, child safety team, they're completely gone. And so like when, you know, when you say that, like, you don't, you don't feel bad for these people that are getting fired, like there, there's actual danger to some of these teams being let go just willy nilly with, with absolutely no thought to it. Um, but you know, I, I don't think, I don't think he's trying to drive, drive the left off. I think that, that he thinks the left won't go away no matter how much, uh, no matter how many death threats they get. And, and he's wrong about that. You know, I, he, he, he seems to think that, that Twitter is a necessity. And I, and I do think that like, yeah, people get addicted to Twitter and it's really fun and, and your friends are there and all that stuff. But you know, if you, if, if every single time you tweet, you, you get hit with a uh, hundred replies of, you know, death threats and, and pictures of Nazi ovens and, and helicopters with people hanging outside of them. And your DMS are full of, of snuff films. You are not going to log on. He seems to think that like, I want to have a discussion with people who think that trans people should be murdered in the streets. I'm like, no, I don't want to have a discussion with that person. And so like, again, I just think it's ego. I, I just, I think it's ego. I don't, I don't think he really understands what Twitter is. I, I have to preface your, you have 70,000 or roughly thereof Twitter followers. I have 2000. So I'm not getting DMS of snuff films. I'm not seeing a, a lot of this harassment. Um, my Twitter experience, you know, aside from when I tweet at Glenn Greenwald, like you suck, you're a Russian asset just because I love trolling him. Um, then I'll get some trolls back if he were to highlight my account. Um, and now like when I attack Elon, even if there's like one like on the tweet, I see 13 trolls or 14 trolls pop up. So that's like been the extent of my experience changing. It's <laughs> and, and I don't get it that bad, man. My my female coworkers, uh, you know, my LGBT coworkers, the people I work with uh, that are minorities, they they get it bad, man, like really bad. And like, yeah, like I've gotten I've gotten some serious serious death threats in the past, um, but nothing nothing like like what some of my coworkers get. And that that was before that was before Elon even took over. You know, it was it was an issue. So, do we expect him to continue to unban these people and let? hate speech run rampant? Will he ultimately up his uh, moderation game? Where do we see uh, the kind of the the end game of, you know, the dude who runs a daily stormer? Like, that's just nuts to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you look at, um, 
God, I, I, I don't remember which right wing app it was. It might have been True Social um, that the Apple Store wouldn't wouldn't allow. You know, and and the reason why is because they they didn't have content moderation. Gab, right? Oh, Gab, yeah, yeah, and Gab's not allowed. Yeah, yeah, Gab's another one. About a week ago, Elon claimed that Apple threatened to take him off the App Store. Um, that is not confirmed at all. It might have just been bullshit. But uh, you know, I think that that if you if Twitter turns into nothing but swastikas and you know, uh, death threats that, that there is a threat of, of that, of, of pulling that off, you know? And, and another thing is, I mean, look, we talked about how much money he paid for this, you know, $44 billion. It, probably, you know, I've seen estimates that he paid twice as much, uh, as what it was worth at the time. Um, and maybe, you know, four five, six times as much as it's worth right now. He needs to make his money back. And, and Twitter isn't, it makes their money off of advertising. And, you know, I'm sorry, but like Toyota doesn't want their logo next to a swastika. You know, they, they nobody, nobody, there might be a few companies that wouldn't mind, but, but for the most part, you know, these companies do not want their, their logos next to a, a Pepe meme death threat thing. Like they just don't want that. And you can't force them to, to spend their money on your company. So, you know, and that's, that's always where Twitter, that's, you know, all the content moderation that we see on social media, it is meant to protect advertisers because these companies realize that that's where they get their money. You know, Elon seems to think that, that the people who use Twitter, the people that post are his customers and we're not, we are the product that he is selling. And, and that's what he doesn't get. Maybe he's starting to get it some, but we are the product, you know, and he's selling us to, to these companies um, in order to bring in advertising dollars. And, and so you know, no content moderation. The product that he's selling to advertisers is garbage and they're not going to want to be a part of it. No, but but I think what you're saying is is pretty interesting because you're not taking an alarmist view. What I just heard there is basically Elon's going to have some restraint put into him based on the need to make money. So there will be, you know, an upper bound to the crazy shit that he can allow happen on this platform. And therefore it's unlikely to die. And, and you just previously said that if, there is no upper bound, it, it would die because it would drive folks like you, folks like me, and then the larger Twitter accounts that are, you know, center, center left, even center right, probably off the platform because they're or not going to no, deal no, with I mean, this. not even political, dude, just, just normal. Yeah. I mean, think about how many sports stupid accounts that just post dog pics all day and, you know, crap like that. They're not going to want to see swastikas, uh, you know, on their timeline all the time, you know? Um, but you know, I, I don't know if Elon is thinking that clearly, dude. I, I don't know if he understands that, that he needs to make money and this is the way he needs to make money. I think that like his ego is so out of control that he thinks that he's Elon Musk and it's just going to work out no matter what. Yeah. Because he's basically detached a little bit from reality. Cause when you have $200 billion or whatever the fuck it is, <laughs> like, 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 and let's be fair to Elon in a way we kind of touched on this earlier. Like, I think $1 billion definitely, I think $100 million distorts your sense of reality. So if somebody has oh, yeah. 2,000 times that amount of wealth and, you know, they're a celebrity and they're like basically the, what people view as Tony Stark, like you're going to be a little bit different. Just detach, just detach from reality, man. Like, it just makes me think Sam, Sam Bankman fried I think that's yeah, his name, yeah. the FTX guy. SBF. Last week, he said that he's completely broke. He only has $100,000 left. It's like, dude, 
Like you have a hundred thousand dollars. You're not completely broke, you know, like, like they don't get it. Like, it's just, it's a different world, man. It, it just breaks your brain. And there's no way that that guy didn't stash away like a couple hundred million dollars, but that's a yeah, whole, totally. that's literally like a five hour show. So Andrew Lawrence, it, it sounds like that ultimately there's probably going to be some type of, you know, middle ground where there will be more hatred on, on the platform than before, but um, potentially Elon will, will come to his senses because he'll see a balance sheet or advisors or something will, will step in advertisers, maybe even, um, will step in and say, Hey, if you go too far, we're, we're not going to come back. And I have seen reports again. I don't know how much we can trust this, but apparently Apple has resumed spending like, I think a hundred million dollars, um, on the platform. So maybe he's signaling to these folks that he's not going to let it get too far. Can we take any solace in that? It's hard to say that when he's letting the Daily Stormer guy back on right now, you know. Um, and and this is something it's going to be it's going to be a slow burn. Like it's not you know these people that he's letting back on. And look, there is no content moderation at this point. I mean, there is um, I you know I've reported quite a few tweets that have been in my replies and and have not seen any uh, any report back from Twitter on on stuff like that. Like people are getting away with stuff that they weren't weren't able to get away with earlier and they're going to continue to push the envelope. Um, you know, I don't think, look, I don't think Elon's going to listen to reason. What I actually think is going to end up happening is, is, is he's just going to get bored and he's going to name somebody else, the CEO, um, or he'll find a way to wriggle his, wriggle himself out of this and, and pawn it off to somebody else. Um, you know, and, and it, it, let's say he does name step away and name somebody else CEO. It just, you know, is it going to be like masters? you know, some lunatic, or is it going to be like somebody who actually knows what they're doing and sort of understands the business model? Um, you know, I think at this point, he's so entrenched in right-wing bullshit that that it'll be some lunatic um, who will allow moderation to cease. Um, but, you know, we'll see. But I, I don't think, I don't think he's going to be the CEO long-term. I, I certainly don't. I mean, um, I, I, I can't imagine that, that the Tesla board is happy about what they're seeing right no. now. Like, they, they, I, I, one of my friends is an investor, and he's fucking livid because his net worth is just plummeted. Yeah, yeah, and it's just you know that whole that whole you know we we were talking about earlier about how his entire deal is just sort of building this image, and and that image is shattered now. I mean, unless you are a hardcore Elon person, you know, I mean, six months ago, if you weren't read up on this guy and, and his life and, and all of the controversy swirling around him. You knew him from Iron Man too. You knew him from, from your Bitcoin friend who called him Tony Stark. You know, that's, that's really all you knew about him. But at this point, like it is impossible to look at what he is doing with Twitter. And I mean, dude, uh, like I'm not getting into a Tesla. You know what I mean? If this is how he runs his company, like, like cutting corners, firing people, his entire business model is quote unquote, let's get hardcore. It's nuts, dude. I'm not getting into a, a, a 740 pound piece of metal going 70 miles an hour that was built by this guy. That's insane. And I'd like, I can't be the only person that, that's thinking like that at this point. So Andrew, uh, another topic that we really haven't hit on this show, we, we really haven't hit the libs of TikTok. Um, and then we had you probably a year ago, we discussed Twitter, but I, I think that this is a different, more interesting conversation we've been having. Um, and we were discussing the Hunter Biden laptop earlier, and 
not necessarily the laptop, but Twitter, Twitter files, I think is what um, Elon Musk and the right wing have been calling it. And Elon Musk really has been interacting with a lot of right wing extremists. I, I opened up Twitter spaces the other day and I saw Elon Musk on the stage with Kim.com, who is an active U.S. felon. He's avoiding the U.S. government because he's a leg- fugitive on the run. Yeah, he's a fugitive on the run. So Elon Musk is like being interviewed by this guy. I saw Michael Cohen, uh, who is a former felon, um, you know, Trump's Trump's former lawyer, the fixer, the the launderer of bullshit. Um, and then there were a bunch of other people like Seb Gorska, um, Bowling, yeah. the former Fox News host. I sent you the picture. There, yeah, there were Miles just a Trump, lot. Yeah. Like a lot of freaks were on that. I was stunned that Glenn Greenwald was not on that stage and didn't find a way on that stage. Um, But that is to say that he's interacting with a lot of these people. And he's also using Matt Taibbi as a PR uh, Mm -hmm. mouthpiece for him. Um, So I wanted to get into Twitter files, which the way that it's been presented to me, uh, Andrew, and I haven't read much media on it. I haven't looked into it is basically that uh, it's about Hunter Biden's laptop. So what should we make uh, of Twitter files? I haven't seen much of the mainstream news. Is this a legitimate issue? And can you just even explain it to us? What what the fuck is going on? Uh, I will try. Yeah, I'll try. I mean, you go back to um, before 2020, uh, a couple of weeks, I think it was two weeks before the election, the New York Post put out a story that they had secured Hunter Biden's laptop. And that was basically all that the story was. And, and you know, Twitter and Facebook didn't allow shares uh, of the link to the story, uh, essentially shutting down the story. And, you know, it's whether or not these social media groups uh, overreacted, you know, a lot of people think they did. And I think I do think that's fair criticism uh, that they overreacted and not allowing that to be shared. I think we also need to take a look back at, at where we were in 2020, you know, coming off of. Uh, the 2016 election where you had the presidential candidate begging Russia to hack, uh, find Hillary's emails and get them out, you know, uh, the whole WikiLeaks thing, um, all that type of stuff. And I, I think, you know, I, I think social media, um, companies are in an incredibly difficult position here because when you have bad actors like the New York Post, uh, Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani, uh, President Trump's lawyer, Steve Bannon was involved in this. Um, known liars, you know, people, people that are known to sensationalize in order to sway elections. Um, and, and, you know, something like this right before the election, it was unconfirmed even at that point that this was Hunter's laptop. Um, and it essentially still is unconfirmed. Um, and it wasn't even the laptop. It was hard drives that the person who said he had the laptop made you know, and, and copies is what, what this computer repairman said, um, what were exact copies of, of Hunter's laptop, but we don't know if that's true, you know? So all of this stuff and, you know, you worked on campaigns. I worked on campaigns. I don't know if it was the same for you as it was for us, but I knew, I know every campaign we, I worked on, we knew the communications team knew that you can pitch any story you want a week before the election. And it's basically impossible to get the media to run with it because they don't have time to vet it. It's just too close to the election. You know, just, they're just not going to do it. And and here in this case, you have Twitter, um, you know, who is not they're, they're not set up to vet these stories before they go out. They're not set up to 
to see if it's true or not. Um, and it smelled like bullshit. You know, I mean, it really did. And and the FBI had warned them, uh, all social media groups about um, uh, bad actors trying to get stuff out there and using their their platforms to sway the election. So, you know, I, I think it's important to understand the very, very difficult position that social media companies are, are, are being put in. So that being said, what what Elon was trying to do, this is this has been huge, uh, a, a huge thing for the right wing since then is saying that Twitter and Facebook censored this story and that that amounts to uh, election interference. So it wasn't a fair election and blah, blah, blah. And before before we before we get into that, right, um, let's draw the line between. So you, you went over this, but when the FBI, I think they censored the or didn't censor. I think they asked the New York Post not to run a story on the laptop. And please correct me if I'm wrong. No, it was um, the, the, all we've heard about the FBI was from a old Mark Zuckerberg interview talking about this. OK. And he said that the FBI came to them and warned them that there were going to be hacked materials coming out that um, that they thought that they that, that weren't true and that it was going to be an attempt to sway the election and stuff like that. And so Zuckerberg said when Facebook saw the laptop story, they just put two and two together and figured that's what it was. Okay, so so not even okay. And, and what I'm trying to do here is so there then it sounds like there was no um, violation of the First Amendment with. Um, news outlets and i'm putting facebook and twitter aside because they're not news outlets they're private companies i saw on twitter a lot of folks uh decrying media outlets decision not to run with this um you know hacked laptop material so anyways it sounds like we don't even have confirmation from what the right wing is claiming which is that the fbi stepped in and said you cannot run this as the new york post um so let's and that would potentially be a big story because that's potentially a violation of the First Amendment and a, a bunch of other things. So let's put that to the side um, because when we get into this social media, uh, this this social media aspect of it, it's very different than a media company. And I just wanted to make that delineation for our listeners before you g- continue explaining um, the, the Twitter files and, and what the right wing is claiming. Sure. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, I, um, you know, these platforms don't, don't want to be used like that, you know, um, and they don't want to be known for that. Uh, you know, which again, I, I think they're in an incredibly difficult position here in, in choosing what to do or what not to do. Um, so yeah, but, but the right wing, they blame Trump's election loss on this, you know, they said, and now keep in mind, like there was at this point, like even still today, this is, you know, what are we two and a half years later or whatever. Like, I still couldn't tell you what the controversy is. I, I couldn't tell you what would have hurt Biden's election election chances because of the story. You know, it was a lot of innuendo. It was an email where, where Hunter said he was going to set up a meeting with the big guy. So they all say like, oh, Joe was obviously the big guy. Um, but even then, like, there's, there's nothing really nefarious about that. Joe Biden wasn't uh, in the government at the time, you know, that type of stuff. So, so I'm, I'm still very unclear as to what the controversy that was proved uh, with the laptop is, but that's neither here nor there as far as this goes. Um, so, you know, one of the big things when, when Elon first bought Twitter, um, you had the, the right wing, the conservative media bubble demanding that he, he, uh, reveal what happened with the Hunter laptop story. 
and he he released some uh, some emails and some private messages with with Twitter people uh, on Friday night. He gave it to Matt Taibbi, and I mean, there, there's nothing there. There's absolutely nothing there, and and you know, there was there was one example that he released um, a contact from the Biden campaign contacted Twitter, uh, contacted their contact at Twitter and, and asked them to remove some tweets. And the screenshot that Taibbi uh, provided had the URL of these tweets. And some people found these tweets um, on the Wayback Machine, which, which uh, archives old, old websites and stuff like that. They found copies of these tweets and it was just pictures. So the tweets existed. The tweets did exist and they were taken okay. down by Twitter. And the, the tweets were pictures of Hunter Biden's dick. And oh, Jesus <laughs> yeah, so the, so obviously the Biden campaign wanted those those pictures taken down, and obviously Twitter took them down. You know, and so all right, from there now, conservative media is saying that it's a huge scandal that the Biden campaign had a contact inside Twitter, and like no, like political campaigns have contacts. You know, they they you know uh, I've been involved in campaigns like yeah, we we call newspapers all the time and ask them for corrections or to change things, or I mean that that. That's just regular stuff. Like it happens all the time. There's absolutely no scandal, you know. So you have that. It felt like my former boss at the RNC had Maggie Haberman on speed dial. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just uh, all the time. Um, it's like that's just a regular thing. Like, of course, of course, campaigns are are going to try to do that. Um, and especially if it's pictures of your son's dick being out there. Like, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna try to get them taken down. And and, and Andrew, when I heard this story, and you're the you you explained it to me a little bit. Um, when we were hanging out watching football, I was thinking to myself, wouldn't it be a bigger red flag if Joe Biden, the private citizen, didn't try and get dick pics of his son taken down? Right, right. <laughs> and, and, you know, so there it's it's what this is. I, th- I think there's a few things going on here, you know, and, and first I want to make it clear, like what what Elon Musk revealed, like there's there's just no controversy there. Like it's it's a nothing burger. And, and so it's not a violation of the first amendment you're saying, right? Well, there was no government involvement here at all, you know? Um, so, so there's that. Then you also don't have another thing is like, Oh, big tech put their thumb on the scales for Biden. And like, no, like that's, that's not what happened at all. Another huge part of this story. I think what we're seeing right now is the right wing media, a, a huge part of their, their electoral strategy is working the refs, uh, mainstream media, you know, and they, what they need, is they need mainstream media to report on their bullshit uncritically. They need, you know, the next Hunter Biden's laptop story, they need it to be like Hillary's emails. They need 25 stories a week on New York Times front page saying another batch of Hillary's emails come out, you know? And they didn't get that with the Hunter Biden story. That's the big thing. And so what they're trying to do right now is trying to shame the media. And, you know, thank goodness, like, nobody's really buying it outside of their bubble. But the thing is, this is... It is happening inside their bubble. This is this is just something that we're going to hear from them for the next fifteen years, you know. And and it doesn't matter what the facts really are. I mean, I still hear on Fox News, I still hear them blaming the Green New Deal for the the, the blackouts <laughs> that happened in Texas like two or three years ago. There is no fucking Green New Deal. Uh, the Green New Deal is legislation that has never passed, and they still blame it for for the Texas blackouts, you know. And it doesn't matter. And that you know that was something they started blaming it right away. Uh, for those blackouts. And it came out right away that like, no, like you're full of shit. And they just kept on saying, and they will just keep on saying, don't get me wrong. I'm okay with people blaming AOC as a, as a moderate Democrat myself, but 
you can't make shit up. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, yes, you can. You absolutely can. I see it happen every single day, dude. It, it happens every single day. And so, and, and I, I just think that's a huge part of the strategy right now is attempting to work the refs, to shame the media into just uncritically reporting whatever bullshit they, they throw out there next time. And look, for the most part, the mainstream media does. You know, you take a look back at, at this previous election, the, the crime narrative, that, that took off, that started mainstream media. You look at uh, Benghazi and her emails. You look at the Ebola scare of, I think that was 2014. You know, I mean, you the caravan, migrant caravans is another example. Critical race theory. I can personally get into and corroborate what you're saying with 2016 because, um, you know, I was doing senior, I was a senior opposition research analyst at the RNC. So my job was to shovel as much shit as I could into the mainstream media, CNN, MSNBC. And when the, um, you know, Assange, who was whether literally or only in practice running a foreign intelligence operation, uh, basically against Hillary Clinton, when they released the WikiLeaks emails, it was my job with my colleagues to go through all of those emails, Andrew, whether in context or not, flag anything that, that was relevant and then create a narrative that, that would get attention and shovel it out to the media. And the media was eating this stuff up. Now, WikiLeaks was not Hillary Clinton's emails, but because of what you're saying, where the mainstream media had covered the illicit Clinton email server or frowned upon Clinton email server, they had covered Benghazi, um, but, but the email server ultimately got conflated with the WikiLeaks. So you had basically every single week in October... Uh, end of September, in October, uh, a new batch of WikiLeaks emails coming out to the point where it used to be, it was Podesta's emails, it was right. Neera Tandon, it was a lot of the the former Obama folks, um, and it was campaign emails, where ultimately, because of what you said, the, the mainstream media was so willing to just publish anything that was scandalous, and they didn't really have a good grasp on things. You had these, I, I remember Don Lemon on CNN, he said another batch of Hillary Clinton's emails are coming out. And they completely conflated the WikiLeaks with the email server. And, and my personal belief, obviously, Jim Comey played a big role in it. But the media's willingness to take that shit and just run with it is a large reason why maybe the defining one of the defining reasons why President Trump won in 2016. Because they conflated WikiLeaks with the server. So it really is important. And what you're what I'm hearing from you is they're basically trying to set up a similar situation where they can use some bullshit opposition research that isn't even true, that's made up a week or two before the election for their October surprise in 2020, what is it, four? Yeah, 2024. And, you know, what's what's so ironic about this whole thing is that, you know, the, the controversy here is supposed to be that that uh, Twitter's Twitter management was in bed with Democrats and attempting to sway the election with them. And here you have the exact same thing happening. You have Twitter's CEO trying to manufacture a scandal in order to help Republicans electorally. You know, it's the exact same thing um, that they're that they're accusing uh, Twitter's previous management of doing. It's, it's really, really wild watching it sort of play out. From a media matters perspective, I want you to put on your professional hat here. What should we be paying attention to uh, regarding Twitter files? Because personally, I was largely ignoring everything. Maybe I think I read a CNN article saying it was a nothing burger. Um, but I also didn't take the perspective that this could be a strategy for 2024 or trying to influence uh, the next election that, God forbid, we're going to have a President Trump 
or even a President DeSantis as a result of this. So should we be ignoring it or would Media Matters say we need to focus on this and what aspects of this should we be focusing on? More than focusing on on the story of what Elon released, I mean, I think it's I think it's important to push back and just point out that it's bullshit or else it'll just become one of those things that that is Watergate 2.0. I mean, look, you have you have Fox News right now saying that people need to be arrested over this, that crimes were committed. And it's important to push back and say, like, no, that's not true, because if you don't, that's that type of stuff will take hold and will take root. And and it paints the Democratic Party as completely corrupt. And, you know, it, it confirms all of the biases that right wing media is trying to push forward. You know, so I think I think it's important with context to sort of debunk this stuff. But it's, you know, it, inside the bubble, inside the conservative bubble, this is this is the second water. This is the biggest story that's ever happened. You know, we had Tucker Carlson last night say that it's proof that the Democratic Party is attempting mind control. Um, it's really, really out there. And it's just being completely made up, completely made up. And in the past, the point of making this stuff up was, you know, like I said, to get the New York Times and all of that stuff. At this point, like it is it, this story in particular right now is, is very much confined inside their bubble. And I think the best that we can do is just sort of keep it there with the pushback and with the truth, you know, and the truth is that this is bullshit. It's completely made up out of whole cloth. And you, this is the big tech CEO putting his thumb on the scales for one particular party.